Thank you, worship team. Good morning, Maple Park. Let us read from Genesis. Uh, let's stand as we read from Genesis 45, 1 through 15. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians could hear him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, you, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked to him. Let us pray. <clears throat> Dear Lord, please just open our hearts, open our ears and our minds to hear what you would have to say as we consider the life of Joseph and uh, what you did in his life and what you allowed or what you were able to do through his life. We pray this in your name. Amen. You can be seated. <coughs> Before we start digging specifically into this passage, I want to talk about God's plans. His plans for the world, for his people, and for each of us individually. It is spoken repeatedly throughout the Bible of plans that God has for us, or ways, to follow, or ways for us to follow him. We can read about that in Jeremiah 29, where the most quoted part is verse 11, where it reads, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. This passage goes on to say, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord and will bring you back to the place 
from which I carried you into exile. I hear those last couple phrases, banished you, exiled, those don't sound like any plans I'd make, but sometimes God's plans for us are teaching us something. Maybe to trust in him for all that we need. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 tells us, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And then in Proverbs 19, 21, we read, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. This last one in particular sticks out to me. How often do we have our own plans, plans that are not God's, but plans that come from our own desires? I know I'm guilty of that, and I'm sure each of us could think of times where we had our own plans, but God had something different in store for us. When I think of having my own plans and being unaware of what God had in store, what God's doing in my life, doing through me, I think of several things. For instance, I certainly didn't think he would have me up here preaching at any point in my life. But I always think back when I think of God's plans and me not knowing what's going on, I always think back to a pivotal story in my life. Many of you know that I worked for several years with the Seattle Mariners, but it took God's perfect planning and timing to get me there. It was late in 2012, early 2013, uh, at the time, I was engaged to my wife, Nicole. We were going to be married in September of 2013. Our kids were far off in the future, so I was still able to sleep through the night at that point. <laughs> I had just gone to the baseball winter meetings in Nashville, Tennessee. After being out of baseball for four years, I decided if I was ever going to get back into it, this was the time. I had interviewed with a few teams in Nashville, but it didn't really seem like anything was gonna come with those interviews. It just so happened that the winter meetings happened the same week as finals week in my last semester of college. So I can't imagine that being up all night writing papers and studying uh, helped me in any way to nail any of those interviews. Uh, but those jobs were spread across the country anyway. The most promising one that I looked at or interviewed for was in Charlotte, North Carolina. Nothing ended up coming of it. Then in December or January, I don't remember quite, um, through the grapevine that the baseball network is, I heard that the Tacoma Rainiers were looking for a new clubhouse manager. It seemed like the perfect opportunity at the perfect time. It was a little bit of a drive from where I lived in Mount Lake Terrace, but I could easily drive down there, stay there during the homestands in the, in the clubhouse, and then drive home when the team was on the road if I wanted. So it was a little better than if I had gotten to work in Charlotte. I interviewed with the GM of the team. It seemed like that went okay. But a couple days later, they called me and essentially told me I had come in second place. There was a guy who had a little more experience than I did, and that's who they were going with. I was disappointed, of course, but I just thought maybe baseball isn't, working in baseball isn't meant to be for me. So as a last-ditch last effort, or maybe just to keep my name in the front of his mind, I called the Mariners clubhouse manager that I knew from my time working as at the Mariners affiliate in Everett, and as luck would have it, he had just taken the job as the visiting clubhouse manager in Seattle, and he wanted me to come in and interview to be his right-hand man. Now, being right-hand man in a baseball clubhouse is not nearly as glamorous as being right-hand man to Pharaoh, as you can imagine. To be honest, it mainly involved 
doing a lot of laundry. And, uh, and selling grain during a famine was essentially replaced with running to the corner store for chewing tobacco. So really not the same at all. All that to say, what I had in mind and what I wanted to do was nothing compared to the much better thing that God had in store for me and my soon-to-be wife. And how often is that the case in our lives? We make plans that we fall in love with, but if we just take a step back, we might see what God is doing in our lives and what plans he has for us. Hindsight being 2020, I often look back and realize I would have been in a far different place if I had been able to follow what I thought was the perfect path at the time. So now let's dig into this passage. As I was beginning to prepare for what God would have me say today, I looked at several commentaries, listened to several sermons, read over some notes from our family Bible camp in June, as our uh, synodical president, Paul Larson, was speaking on this on uh, Joseph's life as well. So uh, good, good coincidence and uh, really made this stand out to me and, and uh, became apparent there were several angles that I could take when reading this passage. There was a lot to it and I could not, I couldn't, I couldn't break it all down. Um, but I recognized the main theme in Joseph's life mirrored God's overarching plan for redemption and the redemption of people that don't often deserve it. God always has a plan for saving his children and this passage is no different. As I studied, I found writings from a pastor in Omaha, Nebraska, and he broke it down in a way that made a lot of sense to me. He broke it down into three sections, the crisis, the clarification, and the call. So what do we mean by the crisis? We certainly have the crisis of the famine throughout the land of Egypt and beyond at this time, but the crisis in this passage has a little narrower focus. The crisis brought to light early in this passage is when Joseph can no longer control his emotions and then goes on to reveal his true identity to his brothers, who had not recognized him through several visits with him in prior chapters. The crisis is that the brother they thought to be dead, the brother they had sold into slavery, the original favorite son of their father Isaac, was standing before them excuse me, Jacob, <laughs> was standing before them and held their fate in his hands. Joseph, very much foreshadowing the path that Jesus would later take, was put in a pit and suffered by his brother's own hands. He eventually rose to the right hand of the most powerful person on earth at the time. Now, I don't know how many of you have siblings. I have a few, six to be specific. And out of the times when I didn't treat my siblings in maybe the kindest of ways, there was usually some type of penalty to pay, whether that was payback at a later date or punishment for my parents. So I can only imagine what Joseph's brothers were thinking and that their time had come to pay for their wicked deeds. It had been building for years, and now here they were at the mercy of Joseph. If this were a show on TV, we'd be cutting a commercial as Joseph reveals his identity and we're left to wonder what's going to happen next. This leads us to the clarification. The clarification is where we start to see God's plan that has been at work throughout Joseph's life. Just to recap very briefly, Joseph was put into a pit, sold into slavery by these very brothers that were before him, I might add, 
rose to a good position in Potiphar's wife. Then he was thrown into prison when he refused the advances of, uh, of Potiphar's wife. While in prison, he becomes known for being able to interpret dreams and eventually rises back to second in the land, only second to Pharaoh, where he currently sits during, as we read this passage. So there is no doubt that Joseph has the ability to make his brothers pay for what they did to him. I wonder if I was in his shoes, what would I do? Would I have any type of ability to follow God's plan for forgiveness? Would I repay evil with kindness? I guess you could ask the driver that kept me off in traffic or the player that fouled me a little too hard playing soccer last week. I don't often think of forgiveness when I judge that someone has wronged me, even in these trivial ways. When I put those things in perspective, those are fairly minor transgressions. But Joseph's brothers left him for dead. Now's the time, Joseph. Make him pay for what they did to you. But that's not what Joseph does. Let's take a look at what he does. For some reason, maybe something to do with realizing and following God's plan, Joseph responds with kindness. He asks how his father is. He says, come near to me, please. Please isn't something you use harshly. That's a kind word. Now he doesn't leave any doubt that he remembers who they are and what they've done. He says, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. His brothers are probably thinking, oh yeah, thanks Joseph, we'd almost forgotten about that. But no, Joseph knows who they are, he remembers what they did, and he still chooses forgiveness over revenge. Why does he do that? Let's read again verses 5 through 8. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Because it was you, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. There's that whole God's plan thing again. I'm sure over the many years, and probably particularly while he was in prison, Joseph may have wondered, why has God allowed this to happen to me? I know I would. But maybe over time, maybe through prayer, instead of asking why has this happened to me, why is God doing this to me, Joseph was able to recognize that God has a plan for him, had a plan for him. During the times when God was all he had left, he must have realized that God wasn't punishing him or wanting to cause him harm, but that he was moving Joseph to a spot where God could use him to do miraculous things, to save a remnant of God's chosen people during a famine that would otherwise have wiped them out. What Joseph's brothers had meant for evil, leaving their father's favorite son for dead, God had turned into good saving their lives and allowing Joseph to forgive them and be reconciled to them. So we've gotten through the crisis. Joseph reveals his identities to his brothers who thought he was long gone. We've gotten through the clarification. Joseph clarifies that he's not going to be seeking the revenge that his brothers feared. And now let's look at the call. Verses eight and nine read. 
So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come to me, don't delay. In another translation, it says, come down to me, do not tarry. And another word for tarry is to hesitate or to linger. So Joseph is urging them to get back to Egypt as quickly as they can without any delays. Again, we see a couple parallels here in this passage between what would happen many years later with Jesus. Much like Joseph says, God has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Jesus says, all authority on, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. When Joseph urges his brothers to hurry and get his father and bring him back to Egypt to confirm that Joseph is alive, it might remind you of when the first visitors to Jesus' empty tomb came and were told, go quickly and tell his disciples that he is not here. He is risen from the dead. So Joseph is sending the brothers that left him for dead to get his beloved father and bring him back to Egypt. Much like Jesus calls all of us, those who have nailed him to a cross to go on mission for him. To confirm to others, he is not dead, he is risen. So as I wrap up, I wanna leave you with a thought, maybe an application of what we've read today, if you will. As I began, as I began reading the passage and wondering what I would share today, I wrote down a question. I didn't think it would serve as the main body of a message, but I also couldn't forget it as I was filling out the, the remainder of my message. The question was this, what are we doing with the position or positions that God has put us in? As I shared my final message earlier this year with our youth group, as we uh, prepared to end the school year, I urged them to consider the weight and effect of their words in others' lives. And I think this question to me translates as maybe the grown-up version, if you will. Not that we shouldn't still watch how we use our words towards others. After all, Jesus warns us of the damage the tongue can cause when left unchecked. But maybe what I mean by adult version is that we can look at our slightly more advanced spot in life and see where God has put us, and maybe start to discern the reason why he has us here. Now this could be what you do for work, as Pastor Adam often talks about, each vocation is a calling, and as adults, our job is where we spend much of our time. But I was thinking of all the roles that God has placed us in. That's, of course, your job, but your family, your neighborhood, maybe your rec league sports team, or any of the number of spots where you have relationships with other people. So maybe you're in a spot where you have the dream job, maybe you're not quite there yet. Maybe you feel like you're in the pit of suffering, or maybe you're, you feel like you're closer to the spot where God is giving you a great deal of authority and can affect many lives through you. Wherever you might find yourself, I'd encourage you to think about those around you and how you might show the forgiveness that Christ has given us. In Luke 6, 27 through 36, Christ says, But to you who are listening, I say, Love your enemies, do good to those who harm you, who seek to harm you. Press those who, bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. 
If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. So be someone that loves your enemies, someone that prays for your enemies. You'll be the opposite of what everyone expects. You will bring light to a dark world. You will bring joy where they may, there may not be any. Whether that's at work, within your circle of family and friends, and even in the church. Maybe there's someone who has wronged you, and you're waiting for the perfect time to get your revenge. Or maybe you're on the other end of the conflict, and you're the one who needs to seek forgiveness. And that's important too, that we humble ourselves, admit our mistakes, and ask to be forgiven. But in the times where someone has done us wrong, maybe instead of anger and revenge, we can somehow find the grace to offer forgiveness to our enemies, or maybe even our brothers. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your plan of forgiveness. We thank you that your plans, our plans are not your plans. We thank you that you know and have written the end of the story. We thank you for your forgiveness and your grace. In your name, amen.